Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. We are back on Amazing Business Radio with another episode. I am so excited because in the house today is Jim Gilmore. I'm going to tell you more about him in just a moment. But before we get started, just a few quick announcements. If you've got a story or a question that you'd like to share, an amazing customer service story, we love hearing them, just go to any of the social media channels and you'll find me there, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, any one of them, and use the hashtag AskShep. And I'll answer your questions that you send in either there in the medium or maybe on this show or maybe my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home which can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, uh, C-Suite, even YouTube. We've decided to put the episodes on YouTube. So if you go to Shep.TV, that's me, Shep.TV, that's my YouTube channel. Just uh, look for it. It's there. We always have great segments. And again, we'll answer questions on the show uh, as well. So, gosh, Jim Gilmore. What can I say about Jim Gilmore? Well, I could tell you what's written here. I could tell you he's the co-founder of Strategic Horizons, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about in a moment. I could tell you he is the author, and this is really what I want to tell you, of The Experience Economy. He's co-author with uh, Joe Pine. And I'm just going to put it out there and tell you that I am today speaking with customer experience royalty. This book, The Experience Economy, when I first picked it up, gosh, it had to be close to 20 years ago. I'm going to ask Jim when it officially came out. I said, this is the best business book I've ever read. And today, I still say it. If there's one book that I had to read over and over again, this would be the book. Jim, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Oh, thank you for having me, and thank you for your most kind remarks. Well, I speak the truth. Uh, I'm excited about a lot of authors that we have. I tell people to go buy their book. And the reason we're having you on now is you come out with a new version, uh, a rev- you know, some revisions in here. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the book. And I, I know whenever you and I hang out, you live in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and every once in a while, I get up there. Whenever you and I hang out, I am, it's like I'm drinking from a fire hose. So you can tell I'm gushing about you, Jim. (laughs) And and so honored to have you here. So let's talk a little bit about it. Tell us about the experience economy and why is, even if you have the old version, why should you pick up this one? Well, the the new Harvard basically, uh, after 20 20 years of the book being out, and we have revised it in paperback some time ago, um, has decided to re-release the book in hardcover. And for that, Joe and I, worked real hard to craft a new preface that we made sure had some real new thinking on it. And mainly I've, I've come to think of it as a, a new lens through which to look at the, the same content of the book. And I, I think for anybody who hasn't read the book, obviously it's an occasion to read it and hopefully we'll, we'll talk about why here in a moment, but for anybody who's read it previously in the past, um, like you reread it, this will, this will have you approach what we say, from a, from a really new perspective, in, basically in light of what has transpired over the last 20 years. I mean, so many business books, you know, their, their shelf life of relevancy is, is short-lived. I sometimes, you know, you and I are both on the speaking and consulting worlds, and sometimes I say, hey, don't penalize me because I wrote a book that, that's still relevant, you know, that's enduring. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's a big idea, still relevant. In fact, I'm, I, when we wrote the book, initially we were hard-pressed to think of examples that 
exemplified the points we're making today. I cannot keep up. I mean, it is everywhere. And uh, so I, I think if, if you've recently or, or even a long time ago lashed out of this idea of experiences and really want to get a deep dive on what it's really all about, then I think uh, this new hardcover edition is for you. So uh, the, the book, you know, it, it, you wrote it 20 years ago. So I guess it was about 20 years ago when I first read it. And it, it is um, it, I mean, Harvard Business Review. So it's kind of a textbook. But at the same time, uh, the, the case study that you used, and this is what's really cool. Every one of the books that I write, I will put in that I, my disclaimer, as I'm writing the book, these companies are relevant. This is, uh, you know, and they, and uh, even if you go way back to, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, what's, what was the book? In Search of Excellence with Tom yeah. Peters. Yep. How many of those companies are still excellent companies that he listed at the time were the most excellent of all? And you wrote about a company 20 years ago that is even more relevant today than 20 years ago, and that's Starbucks. And you use that as, the, as a prime example throughout the book, uh, as a case study, as to what the experience is all about. So why don't we just start there with Starbucks? Because everybody knows Starbucks. They can relate to it. Sure. I think when we wrote the book, there was less than 300 Starbucks. But uh, it, coffee is, is one example of, of our foundational model framework way of thinking about experiences. And that is to, that it illustrates that we've gone from an from an agrarian economy to an industrial economy to a service economy and now to an experience economy. And beneath that, what, what matters, what's practical is the nature of what's produced and offered to customers is different. We've gone from commodity coffee that, you know, trades for mere cents per cup to, you know, buy Maxwell House or Folgers in a can, make your own coffee, physical good, manufactured at a factory, to service, coffee making services, you know, go to a 7-Eleven on the way to work or a, you know, just a McDonald's, 99 cents for any size. But then Starbucks, in providing a place to spend time to drink your coffee, commands a premium price because of all their investment in, in the environment and the ambiance in the, in the coffee making. And even if you take your coffee to go, you're paying a premium because of that, that relationship that Starbucks has to providing um, an experience for their, their customers. So it's a wonderful uh, exemplar example of experiences and, you know, they, like I said, they've grown so much. Everybody talks about them. But even, even we, I think, have some different unique uh, things we've learned about Starbucks that, that you know, so, sometimes it's an overused example. But I think our framework sometimes can let people glean the important stuff out of what they're doing. Well, I think as soon as uh, you can relate to an example, and I can't imagine that there's a person listening to this show I can't imagine that in, in most places around the world, they, whoever, anybody that has a job doesn't know what Starbucks is. Even exactly. if there's no Starbucks in their, their city or even in their country, they still probably know what yeah. Starbucks is. Exactly. It's like what McDonald's was to the service economy, McDonaldization of everything. Starbucks is, you know, sort of to the experience economy is ubiquitous. But, but realize that, that the reason Starbucks, because it is well known, familiar, but also what's well known and about it. Well, actually, what may not be uh, recognized about it. First of all, um, just customization. Starbucks customizes, in fact, mass customizes all of their retail outlets. There are no two Starbucks that are the same, period. There's really? no cookie cutter. Yeah. I mean, there's no cookie cutter. Um, you know, you go to many retail places, the exact same footprint. 
everywhere you go. And I actually met the architect that Howard Schultz hired, a guy by the name of Wright Massey, who's mentioned by name in Howard Schultz's first book, uh, Pour Your Heart Out. And Wright was kind enough to show me the actual architectural, um, it's not even renderings, schemes where you take different uh, artistic elements, different fixtures, different furnishings to ensure that all of them have the same kind of Starbucks look and feel, but that no two would be the same because again, they didn't want to mass produce environments. Mm-hmm. They wanted to customize them to the, to the particular space. And of course, now they've gotten onto their flagship roasteries that are incredible spaces that are now sort of their flagship uh, um, anchors around the country and around the, the world. And, and then of course, here's the most important thing about Starbucks is it, it's an example that time is the currency of experiences that if you get people to spend more time with you, they will spend more money with you. People today want to spend less time with goods and services, but they'll simultaneously spend more time with events in places that, that, that engage them in a personal and in a memorable way. So, uh, I mean, getting somebody to come in and not just get a cup of coffee, but sit down, enjoy it, meet somebody. Uh, that's, that's what you're talking about. And well, I think, think, yeah, think about all the different things people do at Starbucks that people work, people talk, people simply, uh, get some mini mindfulness, but here's the take we have in the new preface on Starbucks chef that I think you might appreciate. And, you know, I won't try to make the whole, whole time we have to go to Starbucks, but I was talking at a banking conference actually, and, uh, we relayed the story in the book and that, that it was one of these events, Chef Life, you've had where you talk back to back, no break between speakers. Mm-hmm. And before me was a representative from the U.S. Travel Association. And they've done this wonderful study called the State of the U.S. Uh, US vacation about the precipitous decline in paid vacation days that are actually taken by employees. And of course, they're speaking to this banking group because they want to encourage all the large companies, you know, get your employees to take all their vacation. Because U.S. travel, of course, is financed by the hotel industry. Mm-hmm. And so after he gave us a wonderful study, great presentation, I came on. I walked through the coffee thing I do, you know, commodity coffee, goods, you know, services, experiences. And then I paused and said, if you don't mind, I'm going to comment on the previous thing because, you know, I don't think we're vacationing less. Um, I'm going to take issue with that. In fact, if you define vacation as not at home and not at work, then all of the time that people spend in Starbucks are mini vacations. And I think that's a much more significant trend to, for people to realize is people are consuming experiences in smaller, smaller chunks. That's why even the places that experiences occur are not necessarily large footprint places like a, like a theme park, but escape rooms, rage rooms, salt rooms. You know, we're, it's almost like we're seeing this miniaturization of consumption, which I think many businesses can think about, about that. It's not the mass produced same place everywhere. And not necessarily as large as perhaps it's been before. Yeah. So uh, uh, one big takeaway as, and and it was early on in the conversation, is that you said the experience, if you look at what it was back then, I mean, there were only 300 Starbucks and guess what? Most people weren't thinking about the experience back then. Today, I don't know how many Starbucks there are. I think, what, several thousand? Over Uh, over 20,000 worldwide. Over 20,000. But not only that. Today, everybody's talking about experience. And uh, I think we have, uh, if, if experience economy is E to the power of two, get it? Experience economy. Yep, yep. I'm sure you figured that one out. <laughs> I think it's probably E to the power of 10 today. So let's take a short break. When we come back, 
much more information from Jim Gilmore, the co-author of The Experience Economy, the book that if you haven't read it, you haven't bought it, this is your must read. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Cult is not a scary word. My book, The Cult of the Customer, proves it. It helps you design a strategy to lead customers and employees through five cultural phases or cults. And good news, I have a revised and updated version of the book. The new edition, The Cult of the Customer, will come out on March 17th, 2020. It features case studies, tips, and tactics to guide you on the journey from uncertainty to amazement and build a better customer-focused culture, a cult of the customer. Pre-order the book before March 17th to receive the ebook for free right away along with another special gift. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.cultofthecustomer.com today to order. Join the cult that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists, the cult of the customer. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio to talk with Jim Gilmore, co-founder of Strategic Horizons an experienced guru and the author of the again released uh, new version of the experience economy. So uh, there is a great line here. And I guess let me, let me phrase it as a statement in that uh, you write that every business today now faces the same number one competitor. Uh, please tell us about that. Absolutely. Well, if time is the currency of experiences, if we're competing for customers time, then recognize that every single business, your number one competitor is the smartphone. Because if you are not engaging people in a compelling way, in, whenever you have, you're spending time with them, they can leave you with the mere swipe of a screen and they're gone. That's why everybody has, that's why this digital, in some sense, the digital versus physical realms is, is sort of the, the, a dominant tension that exists in the experience economy and you see it all the time people are just not engaged in whether it's a trade show or a conference or a classroom or a, a retail store again but it, whereas if, if something is if you go to blue man group you're not taking out your phone right <laughs> you know there are environments where people take out their phone to like take a picture and capture the memory that's a different thing though that that's capturing where where you are now and that's fundamentally different from I want to get away from where I am mm -hmm. now. Well, because they don't, uh, they haven't, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, grabbed enough of your attention. I mean, I'm sitting across right. from people this morning at breakfast, and there's three or four of us hanging out. And you know what one of them's doing? Completely disengaged on their phone, paying no attention to us whatsoever. Absolutely. We're boring, I've seen, I guess, you know. I've seen couples dine together. Same thing. That, by the way, that's the that's the difference between spending money on a mere food service, right? You go in just to get the food, spend the service. By the way, you you want to spend less time with services. You you want time saved with the services. But if you have a dining experience, right, you're not going to do that because yeah. another thing we write about in the new preface: there's a fundamental difference between time well saved and time well spent. Mm. And a lot of experience, a lot of experience talk is nothing more than talking about the convenience of the transactions. And it's really nothing more than giving excellent service a new name. And we want excellent service, right? But that's not the same as a memorable event. 
That's memorable experience. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, this is fascinating. You know, I wrote the book last year, The Convenience uh, Revolution, and it's all about being easier to do business with. Uh, one of the ideas of reducing friction is saving a customer time. Now, I'll, I will go with you on this and that the difference between a dining experience and a fast food, we know what we want. We want to get in, we want to get out, or do we want to sit there and experience and enjoy it? But I will tell you, if it's hard to make the reservation at that nice restaurant, that you want to have that experience. If when you walk in for your seven o'clock reservation, they make you wait till seven thirty. Right, it's, it's an it's an excellent distinction, mm -hmm. but people need to recognize the distinction and not confuse the two. And, and here's the even more important point: people do not want to waste their time. That's correct. But in the time that they save, what do they want to spend it on? And that's experiences, and that can charge a premium price. And by the way. If a customer is spending time with somebody else, the implication is they're not spending time with you. Just like if you don't, if if the attention their attention is being drawn to somebody else, they're not paying attention to you. And then finally, if they're spending their money somewhere else, they're not spending their money with you. That's why the new subtitle of the book is competing for time, attention, and money. And the distinction is very important. You're right in your book, and it's by the way, the the easiest way to stage a memorable experience. It's to provide bad service, and that's where your work is excellent, <laughs> right? And that's where it's like the opposite of what you want, but people will not forget it. Yeah, they'll tell other people, and they'll. And now with social media, they have a way of, way of talking about it, and that's where your work is very valuable. In fact, you cannot, in pursuing experiences, you cannot walk away from the highest standards of excellence in providing outstanding customer service. But just recognize that's just jacks to open. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily differentiate. It differentiates if your competition is horrible at it, but once competition gets their act together as well, like everybody in the industry reads your book and the work of others, then where do you go from there? Well, you, you have to shift to making sure whatever time they do give you is valuable. And I, I like your distinction there. The time prior to that, making the reservation prior to showing up, save my time. But once I've entered the experience, by golly, you better make sure it's worth my time or again, right. I'm going to leave. And if I don't leave physically, I'm going to leave via that smartphone. Right. And don't waste my time. And uh, you just said something, the difference between service and experience uh, and service is table stakes. Uh, like, all right. If you use the right, words right, jacks to open and jacks are better to open, which is another poker term. <laughs> Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, why don't uh, just a lot of people say, well, what's the difference between service and experience? If you're listening to the show, you probably know the difference, but I'd love to hear your take on it. Well, it's, it's an excellent question because we go great pains from the get-go in distinguishing. Th th think of it this way, Chef. I think this is the most helpful headline here. Services are what you do. It's your activity. It's the, it's, it's the completed task that you perform. But the experience is the customer's time. It's their time. And yes, it, it interfaces with the service, right? This, they're not in competition. This, they're not arm wrestling against each other. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a fist pump. They cooperate, but recognize that, that, and you have, and that's why if you have bad service, they remember that, right? Because their time was ruined because of your bad service. Mm, yeah. But performing the activity alone is not in and of itself memory creating and experience staging. It's the, in fact, it, it's, think of it this way, Shep services are the stage and physical goods are the props for the experience being staged. And you need to have that stage and you need to have those props, but the experience, here's another distinction, Shep. Commodities, goods, and services exist outside of people, 
right? They're out there. Mm-hmm. Whereas experiences occur inside people. The, the, the memorable events that we each have personally, and they're inherently differentiated because no two people can have the same experience, period. Even if you and I go to the same zoo or theme park together, and we, 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 we walk the same course together, which is remarkable. People don't, people wander away. But I might go to you, Shep, do you see that? And you go, no, I missed it. Because even our, the direction of our eyes will be different, right? So even in the same space, in the same time, none of us have the same exact experience. They're, they're inherently personal. And again, you know with service that if it's a personal service, it's better. Well, experiences are inherently personal. Right. So I get it. And I love that. And if, for those that are listening, my suggestion is go back uh, because the difference between the commodity, the service, uh, or, or uh, product, that's all outside experiences inside. And I'm going to listen to it again. I'm going to read the book again. I, if I read well, it again. Chapter, even just chapter one, yeah. Shep, we, again, we go at great pains in chapter one to like detail. I mean, you're a user of a good, you're a client of an experience, you're a guest of an experience. Even mm-hmm. the language needs to change. You, you make a good, you deliver a service, but you stage an experience. And we think all that language is important. Just like Disney talks about cast members and offstage and onstage. That vocabulary means something, particularly if it's more than just words, but actually is evidence of different behavior. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a break in a moment. Before we do that, and when we come back, here's what I want to talk about. You actually have something called, um, you used to have Thinkabouts, which were your conferences you held once a year. And, but I know you have something, I believe you refer to it as a walkabout. And that is where people get to walk down the street with you. And you just said, you know, we go to the same zoo, the same amusement park, you see different things than I do. But the idea of walking with you or going to a hockey game or going, by the way, you're a big hockey fan, you and I have that in common, uh, but or a baseball game, is that you share what's going on in your mind as you're looking at all these experiences. I know since you don't do the thinkabouts anymore, uh, just take a moment before we take the break to just share a couple of things that you're doing really quickly. Yeah, we retired think about after 20 years with just so much work. I mean, it's such an experiential event and really helped us sort of get our business off the ground. But yeah, the, the, the walk that you refer to is like we call learning excursions or now with my book on observation and look that now call a, you know, a, a, a looking excursion. Uh, so that's one thing that we do. And the other thing we've done, because think about really exists to sort of get the, the champions of the idea on board. It, it, it was sort of like early on, like-minded people could say, I'm not crazy. You're, you know, you're the champion in your company. You could come together. Well, now that we sort of won that battle, we, we moved in two other directions. We, we now have an online uh, frontline experience training. We've translated all our work into, into very accessible language, and that's called OnStage. We work with a company out of South Dakota named Five Four to develop that. And then also we've launched a, 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 what we call X-Coach. It's basically uh, advisory counseling to chief experience officers in different uh, organizations. So we sort of go in high you know, with the champions and sort of go in front line with the day-to-day realities. That's sort of the direction our firm has gone in terms of what we offer in the, in the marketplace. Great. And website real quick is? What is strategichorizons.com. Strategichorizons.com. That is. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about those uh, uh, looking excursions and getting inside your head and okay. just some examples of what you see that others don't that we can just start to say, yeah, I want to think a little bit more like Jim Gilmore. Don't go away. We're coming right back. 
Are you ready to be amazing? Of course you are. And that's why you tune into Amazing Business Radio. If you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love my new TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home. Each episode is devoted to sharing ideas to help you be amazing in both your business and personal lives. We also feature an app or technology every week that you're going to find fascinating, and we always have at least two guests on the show. The show is now available on Amazon Prime, Roku, C-Suite TV, and more, so the choice is yours. Be amazing or go home. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. Jim, a, a wealth of information here. So uh, I remember years ago sitting with you in a room when you were telling me that you're starting to take people on shopping excursions to baseball games, and they actually pay to go with you to the baseball game. And I'm thinking, wow, if he ever invites me to a baseball game, what's that going to cost me? No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. ser seriously, you were doing this because most people don't see what you see. Like you said, we can go to the same zoo, you see something different. Can you give us some examples of the types of things that you notice um, when you're doing, you know, when you're looking around and walking about? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, first, just the context is it's not enough to, to often it's not just enough to talk about an experience. If you, if you experience it firsthand, now you know. I mean, I can give you information about something if you experience this firsthand, you know, it's much better. So some examples of when I've done this and then, and then uh, first and then how it's done, um, major retailer um, got in a conversation about how most people don't do ceilings very well. So many just drop ceilings. I mean, but mm -hmm. Las Vegas is the one place where every, they think as intentionally about ceilings as they do anything else. So I did a tour all the way up and down Las Vegas strip with a team of retailers simply looking at how ceilings were done and got a number of different, not, not knocking off the ideas, but just basically looking for the underlying concepts of how ceilings were treated. I had a client with their restaurant concepting team that um, uh, was doing a bunch of work with them and then finally just did a, a learning excursion in Soho, New York, just looking at all the boutique retailers. It was all graphic designers, and I think we themed that tour all things visual, from window treatments to just entering to, to point-of-sale materials. And... You know, so number one is just get, first step is just get out there, allow yourself to go uh, look at things. But then um, I think the time I was on with you previously, my, my book on observation called Look um, provides a very simple tool. I won't go into it now, but also if you give people tools to look differently, it's a metaphorical tool. That's another thing that I uh, bring to it. And, and part of it actually is actually designing the route, not, not to only uh, go look at, at destinations, Although that's part of it, but but in putting those together, encouraging people to look at things unexpected along along the way, because sometimes some of the best discoveries are that occur ser through serendipity. Um, so yeah. asking, you know, lay out lay, advanced team, lay, uh, you know, sometimes I do it on my own, sometimes I do it with the client. Lay out the route, know where you're going, make sure you've got some uh, places that are just fascinating to themselves, and don't overthink why we're going. Just use your gut. This place is interesting. I have a hunch people will learn from going here and let the discoveries emerge um, as, a, as opposed to a show and tell. I mean, there's, um, I know exercises that, and maybe you guys have done this as well, where you give everybody 50 bucks and you say, go to the mall, buy something, come back and tell us what it was like to do that shopping. What, yeah, what was all that kinds experience? Of I've, 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 I've done, I, like, I like that and I like augmenting with more. I've had people wear hats 
where the what's pr- customized what's printed on their hat is the scavenger hunt for the things they're buying just to create a different interaction in the store i've had people go in i remember sending a group into a john deere store and i had everybody wearing john deere t-shirts and hats like mm-hmm. the workers freaked out like we just sent some of your raving fans in and they did some research on John Deere and so forth. And like the people, the workers like literally left. They didn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> so, so, so by the way, it's not oftentimes, it's one thing to go and look, but that's good. But I have found if you have, if you also give people a specific activity to do, then the interactions can be more engaged. I do think something like, you know, as you walk, look for all the, the early on, the Starbucks signs, people walking with their phone and anybody wearing purple. Sometimes you, you, you give somebody some strange things to look for, especially if it's scarce. Like look for people who are, <clears throat> who are wearing purple. By looking for that one particular thing, you notice many things. Right, right. Because you're really forcing somebody to hone in on their attention. And you're being, right, you're being, exactly, that's exactly right. You're being, it's being more attentive to the space in which you're occupying. In fact, part of my work on observation is to encourage people, to, you know, basically challenge people. How are you spending time with your eyes? And at least a portion of your time well, a lot of our time is increasingly on the screen. I'm not saying necessarily eliminate that completely, but devote some of the time you're putting on the screen. And everything you see on a screen, Shep, is derivative. Somebody else has already seen it and noticed it. Are you going out and being the first to notice something that you can apply to your business? That's inherently differentiating. So I was at Disney in Paris recently. I had a presentation with a client there. And we're out one night, and I'm looking for this particular sandwich. Um, I know I'm going to butcher it. It's, it's that uh, great grilled cheese, French grilled cheese, Coco Monsieur or something like Coque Monsieur. I don't know. It, it's so good. Uh, I'm, yeah. I, I speak very little French. What little French I do, I, 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 it fakes everybody out for the first 10 words. That's it. But I noticed a misspelling on the board. Um, and I said, I wonder if that's just the French way of spelling it. It looks misspelled. So then I looked in other, and I mean, and it's a big board in the restaurant at Disneyland or Disney World out there and, um, or Disney Paris, whatever it's called. So I went looking for another board that would have the same item on it. And guess what? It was spelled differently. This is right in front of everybody. And, you know, and I, by the way, have trained myself to look for all types of experiences and and uh, notice people who are interacting. Are they doing it properly? It's just, you know, that's the, I guess that's the downfall of being a customer service experience. Well, the other know. thing is just taking a tour. If you have a, if your business is as a place where customers come to a place, is just tour your own place. I mean, yeah. workers become so familiar with their own environment, they stop seeing things, even just basic maintenance. So to be very intentional about looking at your own environment uh, can be, can be very, I have a little technique I invented, haven't written about it. A lot of people write, basically say, I call it five, ten, five, ten things. Find ten things. So every day, walk around your enterprise and find ten things that need fixing, need to be yeah. put back in place. And you'll just force yourself to find ten things. And I've got a couple of retail clients that, that implemented that. And just, you know, just basic maintenance gets covered because of that. Yep. I remember one of my early jobs as a teenager, I worked at a gas station and one of the executives from the headquarters came out to just visit the station. And he says, we got to fix that, that sign. I go, what's wrong with the sign? He says, it's too low. Somebody's going to hit themselves. It's been there forever, but he just noticed it. And guess what happened? A, a day later, the sign was moved up 
because it was low and it was on a pole and he was afraid somebody was going to hit their head. Uh, <laughs> anyway, noticing, looking, being observant, that's where you're going to get your best ideas to enhance and grow the experience. All right, we're out of time. The one thing question, what's the one thing you want our listeners to remember about our conversation? Or maybe it's something brand new. That would be great. Some nugget of information. We absolutely, they have to know it. Well, that, that's so good, Chip. I, I, I probably would summarize it with, a, with or offer a new point, that it's not enough simply to say you're offering experience. You actually have to do your work differently. And hopefully our book provides plenty of ammunition um, to do exactly that. Right. I love that. I love that. So customer, customer experience or experience is not a word. It's an action or something. Yeah, I, tell, I, tell, I tell people, I, 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 instead of just saying your experience, I'd rather have you actually offer one that's truly engaging. Yeah, love if you, it. If you, All stay, right. if you stage a good experience, you don't have to call it an experience. Yeah, and it just happens in their mind, and it is their experience. And you know what? It is. People own their own experience. So this has been so enlightening, and we're so honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Chef. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The book, again, it's The Experience Economy, and it is written by Jim Gilmore and Joe Pine, my personal favorite book of all time in business, uh, the subtitle, Competing for Customers' Time, Attention, and Money. And it is a must-read, must-have, and not just read it once, but over and over again with your team. That's the book you want to get. All right, everybody, end of another great interview. Next week, we're going to have another one. So make sure you tune back in. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.